Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of the Inantech Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Cutris, and today we've got a podcast about the gaming industry. Now, we're recording this on New Year's Eve, so I want to talk about 2017 and 2018, and I've got the perfect guest for the podcast to talk to. Joining me is Chris Dring. Now, Chris and I have known each other for the best part of 20 years, mm. since secondary school and high school. Yeah. Um, Chris is, he's been writing about video games and the video game industry since, well, I mean, 10 what? years, 10 years, ten, ten, 10 years you've been officially employed, but it, yeah. it, it dates back to writing our own custom blogs. Yeah. And remember when we made our own game about Conker's Bad Fur Day? Yeah, I do remember. Conkula.com. Greg's Revenge was Greg's the game. Revenge. Was the game that we made. An RPG maker or something of that equivalent? It, it, it was, it was terrible. Um, <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> we, um, but you, you know, you also ran a video game inspired wrestling yeah. blog as well. Yeah. yeah, of course. Um, back when we were teenagers, but Chris now is, he's, you, you told me your job title is publisher, um, for a company called gamesindustry.biz. This is a company that's part of the gamer network, which involves Eurogamer, Rock Paper Shotgun, EGX. Yeah, runs the EGX events. Yeah. VG uh, 24 seven. What does a publisher do? Uh, a publisher is effectively, um, well, I was the editor, for a long time I was the editor of a, a magazine called MCV, which was a business to business publication, went out to all the video games companies in the UK. And then, uh, and, um, and I was the editor of that. And then I joined Games Industry about a year ago as its senior editor. And I got promoted to publisher, which basically means I look over, uh, the editorial teams, the commercial teams, the event stuff that we do. I sort of involved in all of that. So it's, um, it's effectively the boss of a media brand. That's the way to look at it. Um, so do you write anything anymore? I do. Um, that's one of the joys. The way the company's set up, it gives me this ability to uh, um, not have to be too involved in commercial stuff where it gets a bit grey and a bit, you don't want to be, you don't, you don't want a writer to be involved in advertising deals. Um, so uh, I do. But I also have a very big speciality in things like games publishing and games retail, which gives me a very unique unique uh, uh, voice at uh, games industry so yeah i do do writing but i, I have the be- the beautiful pleasure of uh, writing whatever i want when i want um and i don't actually have to uh, adhere to any deadlines or structure which is well i do a little bit but um yeah um so it's a bit of an old publisher role. it's not traditional publisher role but it's uh yeah but uh, i know over the past few years you know you've poured over game sales numbers mm-hmm. week in week out um, you've been to E3, you've published specialist magazines for events like E3. You go around to the major and especially in the UK, third party developers, um, interviewing mm-hmm. yeah. uh, a lot of senior people there. Um, and you've put your name to a number of nicely high profile yes, magazines yes, in the yeah. industry. So it's great to have you on. And, you know, I've known you oh. for ages and played played on your GameCube more times than I can count. And Dreamcast uh, before, and... before my mum threw it down the stairs. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm actually looking at, well, you said you've replaced your Dreamcast now, but it's all set up here. Um, but having you on board and it being New Year's Eve, um, I thought it'd be a great time to talk to you know the Anantec audience about the gaming industry, both what we've just had in the year past and what we're looking forward into uh, 2018 so obviously my background is hardware and your background is essentially gaming and software yeah. so we're going to have different we're going to know a lot of different things and have different viewpoints on this um, we've literally just spent the last hour talking about potential hardware relating to how games are played for different markets yeah not necessarily something that's uh, publishable but it was it's <laughs> you know it's a nice to get a chance to talk about this with somebody from a very different perspective so that's what i want to give to you guys listening to the podcast today 
So 2017, um, I think, don't think we can mention anything about 2017 without talking about uh, PUBG. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's the game of the year. That's the biggest game of the year, I'd say. So, so this is Player Unknown's Battleground, mm-hmm. um, where you have a bunch of people dropped onto an island and it's yeah. final survivor wins. Why is this game so big? Why is this game so popular? Uh, uh I wish I knew. <laughs> we, we, we all, we, everyone saw. Well, it's the battle royale mode. It's become this. It's it's a wonderful thing. I think it's interesting. Lots of people have different perspectives on it. I was talking to Microsoft, who obviously did a console exclusivity agreement with uh, uh, Blue Hole and the team behind the game, um, uh, and they think it's because it's a bit more of a social experience. I think it's one of those. It's a good game for starters. People have fun with it, and I think people just like hanging out in a. Uh, you've got that hangout game there's always one whether it was Destiny several years ago or or Overwatch or whatever it is and I just think it's one of those games that's just captured people they like hanging out with their mates um, uh, sitting on Steam and and, you know and and the stories they create these games I'm not actually I'm not a big player of it uh, I just don't have the time but the uh, the stories that they create when they um you know, mostly a failure and embarrassment and humiliation and not being able to jump over the uh, the fence or, or you know, get, not being able to get getting in and out of the car every 30 seconds. You know, it's, it's they're beautiful stories and, and I think games that create their own stories seem to be the ones that are, are really resonating at the moment, I think. The, 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 the most I always see about PUBG is, um, my, is the friends that I know who play it. Whenever they get, you know, a winner, winner, chicken dinner, they win a round. That's yeah. that's what they post to the social media. Yeah. And so everybody is seeing, you know, social media wins. You don't because it's one winner in however many play in a map, mm-hmm. rather than you know a team based game like Battlefield yeah. or, or Call of Duty makes it different. I mean, it's not necessarily you can be a team, but yeah, yeah. At some point, you're yeah. going to have to backstab your team or yeah. front stab your team. Um, it's not necessarily something that's going to grow in esports, but it's just. It just got this community around it. Yeah. Um, I mean, my recent perspective has been relating to how many people now play on Steam. And as far as we know, it's a bunch of Chinese bots trying to monetize. <laughs> um, and they just announced that they banned one and a half million accounts for... Yeah, well, I, but, you, but then you look at the, those numbers. Those, you know, This is a game that's in early access that costs money. You know, it's not it's not like Fortnite or, you know, this, this game costs money. People are spending money yeah. on this. And it's well, it's now not in early access. Yeah, yeah it's it's now it's now a live live game. But people are spending money on it, and it's it's you, these are sort of numbers that you see. You know, the way it went. You know, they're almost adding a million a week at one point. They're not. They weren't. But you know, when it was getting to that sort of scale, you know, this is the sort of thing you expect from a free to play game, and you're getting it from a game that's costing people thirty bucks a piece. Um, I just think I just think it's been a phenomenal success. It's one of the uh, one of the standout standout things of the year without question. And um, but I think it also talks to. You, know, you look at talk about Microsoft, who signed this as a console exclusive. Look at all their games coming up; they've really gone away from story-based games, they're, they're, or, or at least traditional story-based games where you uh, have a, a, a characters and your beginning, middle, ends. They're sort of moving into games where players sort of get sandbox sort of experience games where people create their own stories. And you look at their lineup for next year with games like State of Decay. They've just signed Player Unknowns. That's only just come out. CF Thieves, um, even Crackdown to a certain degree. They've almost gone into this. They're going to very social connected games and, they, and those are the ones you never really know where they're going to come from where those hits are going to come from but they seem to be seems to be what everyone's chasing it's 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 funny you say that because just before we started recording we started talking about one of the games i mean i i used to play quite a lot on the dreamcast um fancy star online mm. <laughs> you know they, 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 this was one of the very this is one of the first online console games that people it had absolutely zero story whatsoever <laughs> yeah yeah but you played in a team with mates. I mean, it wasn't an adversarial type combat. No, 
but you know, I loved it and I'd still play it. No, yeah, it's but it creates those things, aren't they? And everyone, everyone then sits down and starts saying, "Hey, do you remember when when this happened? This amazing thing happened." I mean, I was. But it happens. It, it can happen in any game, and it's just whether which one captures the public's imagination. I've been um, playing a lot of. Uh, I'm a big rare fan. I've been a lot playing a lot of Sea of Thieves, and there's. I played a game recently where um, Sea of Thieves has all these great mechanics in it, but there's this get, it was in Sea of Thieves, you basically go out and find treasure. You and a crew, you get on a ship yep. and you go off and find treasure. And, I, and one of the treasure chests you can get is a cursed chest, right? And the cursed chest is a chest that cries. And it's got a lot of gold in it, but when you take it back to your ship, it cries and it floods your ship. So you have to start oh. bailing it out, right? And then you basically have to keep an eye on the cursed ship. Anyway, we'll fight. We end up getting, we, we wanted to get the cursed ship chest back to base before we got into any any sea fights but we got into one we got into a ship battle and um, we were losing badly and before i died i fired myself out of a cannon onto the enemy ship holding the cursed chest i didn't get seen for a few seconds i ran to the bottom of their ship and i dropped the cursed chest and then i got shot to pieces and dead i ended up in the dead zone you come out of it after a while i came back out of it after a while and our ship was in disarray We we were in a lot of trouble and then all of a sudden our enemy ship sank and they thought, wow, we didn't do any damage to it. We we were doing really badly. And then suddenly, and then uh, one of the other guys in the ship uh, told other people, said, there was a cursed chest in our ship and it flooded our ship and it sank. Now, the game wasn't, they didn't intend for that to happen, but it came a wonderful story. You know, I yep. was afterwards, I've told that story so many times. And I was because <laughs> I'm so proud of that moment in a game. But I feel, I feel when it comes to big hit games like PUBG at the moment, those are the ones that are that seem to be hitting these ridiculous numbers. That doesn't mean there's no space for the other games, but they seem to be the ones that are. Uh, everyone's going for so aside from PUBG have there been gems this year that you think have outperformed well I think the thing that surprised everybody is Nintendo um, from a from a pure game I actually if I can get this get this up there are some statistics there are some statistics that um, uh, came out of uh, uh, these are the estimations the analysts came out with so IHS who are a very well respected analyst company estimated the Switch would sell 4.4 million consoles uh, by the end of this year, it did that by the end of, by before June. Uh, Super Data was a little bit more optimistic. They said there'd be five million by the time the end of the year. Nintendo hit that number in July. Um, they're now currently on about twelve million consoles sold globally. Um, even Nintendo didn't expect that. They've had to, they've had to fly in. It's a lot ch- lot more expensive to fly in stock than it is to ship it um, for obvious reasons. Yeah. They've had to fly in stock to meet the demand. Um, I, you- I noticed there weren't that many sales on the Switch around Christmas because. They're selling as many as they can make. Well, actually, they're doing okay in the West. So they've got to the point now in the in Europe and the US where they now actually have put a lot of stock in the market. They've kind of held okay. it back for a little bit and then just flooded the market. In Japan, it's a different story where there's where you've got the... Have you ever seen the film Jingle All The Way? It just, it's like that at the moment where people are fighting over each other to get hold of one yeah. of these consoles. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, the... Uh, uh, in the air, it's it's so it has sold out. It had sold out for a long time. It's now more in free supply. But there's a lot of stock out there. Nintendo are are really trying. It's, that's been the surprise, and it's um it's been. And I think we were. I was so surprised. I remember I went to. It was in January. Nintendo did a big event at Hammersmith Apollo in London, and they they invited all the journalists down to play it. They'd only announced it that morning, might I add. They did a video yep. that morning. Nintendo own UK team didn't know when the release date was. That's how secretive they kept it. Their own to so the yep. point to the point where. They were there. They found out it was coming out in the beginning of March. It's coming out in five weeks. They looked horrified, right? You know, they have to sell out the campaigns. Yeah. yeah. So I, I went to um, I went to this Nintendo thing, and I was sitting there with a load of retailers in the line. I was sitting there with Game. I was sitting there with Sainsbury's. They're all. It wasn't just re- media. It was everyone was coming yeah. in to play these games, and they were there and they said, "I don't know. I don't get it. There's no games on it." Everyone thought the only game Nintendo seemed to have on it at launch is this Zelda game, which looked up the right. Everyone looked for it looked amazing, but it's already out on the Wii. It's going to come out on the Wii U at the same time, and they were like, well, "This isn't going to." 
do well. Nintendo's line was that we were, we're drip feeding out the games over the years so people keep having a game to talk about. I'm like, yeah, but you've got a launch with no games on it. I don't understand. A machine, okay, the 280 quid price for it seemed relatively reasonable, but the hardware, the, so the accessories were like 70 quid, the games were 60 quid. It's really expensive. And I think there's loads of question marks. And I came out of that, as a Nintendo fan that I am, I came out of that thing, sat down to the pub and I think, Nintendo fluffed this, you know, they've got it wrong. And, um, and I wasn't the only one that think it. We were all, lots of were thinking, we were all, a lot of us were feeling they made a mistake. And then we were all proven wrong. Right? I'm happy to say I was proven wrong. Zelda, and it turned out Nintendo was spot on. They released Zelda. It was. It turned out to be enough to sell all the machines they had. Easily enough. It was such a huge hit. And then they had Mario Kart in July. So as soon as they had more stock in, everyone was talking about Mario Kart. And they had ARMS and Splatoon. And then and then, and then uh, and now Mario Odyssey. Well, I remember you saying um, to me a little while ago that one of the downfalls of necessarily the GameCube was that all the major games came out in the first year. Yes. Well, that, that so yes, that's a problem. I'm... I'm optimistic, but also concerned by it because at the moment Nintendo have very little announced for next year. So they, we've, there's an out, they've announced a Pokemon game, yep. which should be, it might be coming out in 2018. They've not, they've not committed to it. They've said we're hoping to get it out it's coming. next year. Yep. Um, they've announced Fire Emblem, which is big in Japan, and it, you know it's got a cult following. I've um, it. But it's yeah, for... Bayonetta one and two. They're re-releasing those um, in February. These aren't these aren't Mario, Zelda, Mario Kart, Splatoon no. level games. Pokemon is, but the rest aren't. And um, uh, so I sit there and think I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that um, because, as I say, the GameCube had an amazing first year and then it kind of faded away. The, there's a slight difference because um, Nintendo's Nintendo as a software company, they had they, for years they had two pieces of hardware. They had a handheld world and they had a console world. And the console games and the handheld games, Mario and Zelda do both well on both. They always did. Yeah. But on the console, on the home console, the games that tend to do really well were Mario Kart and Smash Brothers. Those tend to be the big ones. And in the handheld world, it was Animal Crossing and Pokemon. Yeah. Right. Now with Switch, because it combines both, you kind of feel like they they actually do have a couple of other tricks up their sleeve. They still have. There's no Smash Brothers yet. There's no Animal Crossing yet. There's no Pokemon. They do still have some big games to come. They are only working on one machine at the moment, so they should be able to turn around games a bit a bit faster. Yeah. Um, third parties are starting to get intrigued by it now because you know once you get to that 10 million sales figure third parties tend to start coming on board especially when there's no no uh, no real competition in the game space yeah and well yeah well, that's has been indies have benefited massively from that um so you know there are i am optimistic and nintendo have a habit of not announcing stuff they they, they have a habit they do these things called directs now so whereas Whereas PlayStation and Xbox sort of save their big announcements for E3 or Gamescom yeah. or Tokyo Game Show to a lesser extent, but mainly E3. Nintendo do these things called Directs. They do about four of them a year. They do some smaller ones dedicated to individual games. They tend to do, and they tend to announce a load of games. Um, Nintendo have one in January. Yeah. So there is an expectation that we'll see some big games. Well, we kind of feel there's an, they might need to do that. Yeah. Because at the moment the release schedule is a bit light unless you're interested in Yoshi. Um, <laughs> and, uh, which I think looks great, but I don't think it's going to sell loads of Switches. Um, so it'll be interesting. That's how Nintendo do things. So we'll get into. We know the only reason we know there's a direct in January is because EA leaked an EA leaked marketing document came out where where they, one of their games called Fee yeah. is being shown during a Nintendo direct in January. It's the only reason we know that. So they're, they're, they're these Nintendo direct events they're closed or they're, or they press they're, they're online YouTube videos and they've completely done away. They're one of the okay. first companies to say we don't need the press and they do a direct at E3. They always do one there as well. It's not like a, it's all. So you are sat down in front of the presentation? Uh, not, no, they do it at E3, but they do it online. So oh. I, I watch the E3, I'm, I'm in LA, right? in, <laughs> in, my, in my hotel in, in, in Los Angeles, sitting there 
watching YouTube with the rest of the world, right? And also, my, I had, when you even at, when you're at events like, I've been, I went, went to all the press conferences this year, Bethesda, Xbox, PlayStation, I went to yeah. all of them. And I would have, I would have got more work done and be able to be more engaged with people commenting if I wasn't in the room. It's great to be in the room. It's great to get mm. the buzz and it's always lovely to see, but, um, and I always like to be there, but you, you don't have to queue up. You don't, <laughs> you don't rush into the next press conference. You're not, um, but yeah, uh, that's that Nintendo do it that way. And they have done it that way for a long time. I, I went to their final E3 press conference, which is when they announced the Wii U and they've not really made the mistake. They're not really, that was a bit of a disappointment. It's also expensive to do it. Like yeah, I, don't th- I think Nintendo can probably afford it. <laughs> um, but yeah. It prints money. But yeah, but, but you know, they can mess around with it. Nintendo have always been a bit irreverent. Um, uh, one year at E3, they did a Nintendo Direct where they got the creators of the Muppets the, to basically create Muppet versions oh. of all the Nintendo executives yep. to appear and just, they just did it in like an animated style. We, we've had Robot Chicken guys sort of do a, do a, do take okay. part, um, do one of their videos as well. They normally do something, they normally do that around E3. Um, the other ones tend to be more. Here's a developer talking about a game, and here's here's some video footage. But that's how people do things these days, isn't it? That's how we consume media. It's it's. Um, I mean, you talk about selling 12 million switches. I'm always amazed that the hardware N- Nintendo has always had a. We don't need to push the boundaries of hardware the same that Sony and Microsoft do. And you know, the Switch it's using um, it's using Nvidia Tegra. It's actually using a very you know a crippled version of Nvidia Tegra. It's still more powerful than a smartphone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's what a seven and a half inch screen or mm-hmm. something and it's being used differently to a mobile device and you know i was literally uh just showing chris the razor phone which is a phone made for gamers that costs twice the price of the, mm-hmm. of the switch yeah. but the games i play on that are very different to the games i play on a console mm-hmm. like like the switch um so you've got you know analysts saying you know we predict you know four four and a half five million mm-hmm. and then it sells 12 you know, is it going to sell twelve next year? If you're saying uh, the game, if, if you're saying the games are, well, they haven't announced. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they have they have a Bennett. So there's there's two things there. I mean, I think switches switches. I think one we don't talk about this a lot. Nintendo are seen as a as a family friendly casual games company. I think most people that have bought Switch this this year are core games. I think people have bought this. They've got a PlayStation Four, Xbox One, or a PC, and they're going. I'd love to be able to play. Um, these are made, like Zelda's a 150 hour fantasy epic. I'd love to be able to play that on the go, right? And I think that's appealing to those sort of people. Um, the machine's quite expensive. I don't think it has that family audience. It has family great games for that audience, but I don't think it's appealing there. So they've got m- room to go in terms of price and everything yeah. like that. Um, I think we also, I actually think they benefit from the failure of the Wii U. Nobody bought a Wii U. Well, Switch in about, and I, I'd say by the time we get to March, Switch would have sold more consoles than the Wii U did in its entire five year existence. And, okay. and, and you know it's already on the cusp of doing that because we we sold thirteen million, well, thirteen and a half million over the course of its life cycle. I mean that's that's dreadful, yeah. uh, and um, that's a flop by any standards. It, I mean, it hit the magical ten million though. Yeah, yeah. After after four years, you know, it, it was selling slower <laughs> than the Dreamcast, right? It's um, we all you're it it was a disaster of machine. But Nintendo made over eventually. It took it took them a while to get to it, but Nintendo made a lot of good games on that console. Um, but not many, nobody bought them. And one of yeah. the big hits, one of the real big hits on the Switch this year has been Mario Kart 8. It's brilliant. It's, it's, it's amazing. It came out on the Wii U two years ago. 
Uh, but people aren't people aren't thinking about nobody bought the Wii U nobody's yeah. nobody's get, so there's actually a string of Wii U games that are high quality excellent that nobody played or nobody bought and if Nintendo need to plug a gap in their lineup they need another Mario need another Zelda they've got plenty they <laughs> sitting on the Wii U games, yeah. they can just go here we are um, reworked maybe yeah. with a few extra modes or a few extra bits and bobs Smash Brothers Smash Brothers on the Wii U is fantastic. They also released a version of the 3DS with different levels. They could quite easily combine those. I think quite easily, but it would take, wouldn't take a massive amount of development effort to combine those and just re-release it on the Switch. And it, they would instantly have a hit. Another, another, another cycle of sales. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Switch, 12 million. Um, we, we say, yeah, that's, that's, you know, more than what was predicted. Um, Sony and Microsoft, you know, 60 million, 30 million or something around Yeah, that well, Microsoft don't announce hardware uh, sales numbers <laughs> anymore um, for, for, they say, because uh, live numbers are more important in terms of audience, but uh, which is true, but also people want to know how many consoles have sold, and they haven't sold a lot. Because the live numbers count everybody who's got an Xbox 360, yeah. Xbox One. It's important in terms of engagement, you know, it's important. Yeah. If you can have one customer that keeps coming back over and over again, it's better than having 100 customers that bought it once and didn't buy anything again. But, yeah. but, but, you know... It's, it's 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 the mobile game mentality. It's yeah. the individuals that spend five mm. grand rather than the ones that spend nothing. Yeah, but uh, generally, yeah, it's uh, the Switch is just getting started. PlayStation still had the dominant year. PlayStation's dominant right now. It's it had actually you know even with the Switch, it's, it was the biggest console this year um, by a long way. Uh, it's it's it's. Is that because of titles, or is that because of something like PSVR? Or no, it's it's I, Microsoft messed up obviously at launch with their messaging. Um, people were angry with them over, I think actually quite some interesting ideas they had around online and how it would work. But people were angry about the idea they had to, they couldn't pre trade in their games. All the idea of digital. I remember ownership, that. Yeah, it basically they put them on the back foot right from the word go. They had a slightly more expensive machine. It, PlayStation Four games looked you couldn't tell, but technically were marginally superior to the Xbox One ones. So you had Xbox One's a more expensive machine that fans were already questioning Microsoft over. Yeah. So PlayStation got the momentum. It was also a rare situation; it doesn't happen very often where two consoles came out at the same time. Um, it didn't happen in the previous generation. Three hundred and sixty followed by Wii followed by PS4, PS3. Um, this generation we had two come out pretty much within weeks of each other. And when one wins, what happens is your friend, you've, you, everyone's got PS4, yeah. so their friends buy PS4, and their yep. friends and friends buy PS4, and then it creates this almost critical mass. And it takes it can be really you can you have seen it happen, but it can be really hard to fight that, particularly when your machines are too similar. The Saturn died when the plant happened with, when they went head to head with the PlayStation, yeah. and um, and we're sitting and we're kind of that's the last time it happened by the way, nineteen ninety five, and I think that's pretty much what's happened here now. You know, well, I mean, you say the hardware the same; it's both AMD custom designed with the same number of cores, mm-hmm. slightly different amounts of you know memory and and graphics. But as you say, you know. On screenshots, you could tell the difference necessarily during gameplay. I mean, yeah, I but but since then, you know, we've got PS4 Pro, we've mm-hmm. got Xbox One X, a Scorpio, um, which uh, Microsoft went into detail, you know, during uh, when I was at the Hot Chips conference in August. They all moved to x86, so now there's more compatibility with PC. Well, at, at Microsoft have put themselves in a position where now they technically have the superior machine, um, and Again, not many people will notice that. Uh, but I think it's not... I don't think that was the only reason PlayStation 
dominated, um, have dominated because they had the slightly superior machine. Uh, Xbox now does have one. I think they'll be telling people next year of all the big games that launch, whether that's Far Cry 5 or whatever, they'll be saying, we've got the best looking version of the game. Yeah. Um, but I don't think there's going to be, you, you are, I don't, who doesn't have a PlayStation or Xbox at the moment? Well, family audiences. And they'll be driven by things that aren't about they won't care too much if that game yeah. looks slightly better on that machine than the other. They in, they, they want a Blu-ray player. They want Netflix. They yeah, want... yeah. They're, they're not they're not they're not getting hung up over the fact the uh, uh, the visuals might be you know if you squint it looks a little better. But my, so what Microsoft Xbox One X is really trying to appeal to is existing PS4 owners, and I'm not entirely sure that will it's a challenge for them. They've got some big games coming out. I do think though Microsoft might be closer to announcing a full successor to Xbox. Well, One. well, you know, you say they're trying to entice owners with PS4 owners, but ultimately, when new consoles are launched, I mean, when it's a whole new generation, the mm-hmm. idea is that everybody upgrades. I mean, in the past, it was because nothing was backwards compatible. Mm-hmm. And there were new titles, and you could only get the latest titles on latest hardware. This being a mid-season, yeah, it's different. Update. It's different. Yeah, we've not seen anything like this before, really. I mean, we've probably seen slimmer hardware, you know, slightly improved Thermals. technology. Yeah, but we've not seen before a situation where where the game. But you know, I think also you're going to see a link to 4K TV adoption. I think when people get more 4K TVs, they might be thinking, "I'd like a 4K device." And the best one to get probably is the Xbox One X. Yeah. So I think all that stuff might help it, but you're not looking at a not looking at a giant shift in momentum from PlayStation to Xbox. I mean, the PlayStation's momentum, if anything, has got bigger and uh, since Xbox One. We, you know, Xbox, yeah, it's games. And Xbox One X has been a great launch for Xbox. But Microsoft, for the first nine months of this year, released Soddle. They released Halo Wars 2. That was their only game they released. Only first-party game. Yeah, only first-party game they released. Whereas PlayStation did things like Horizon, they had things like Crash Bandicoot, which did really, really well for them. Resident Evil 7, which I know was, third, was a, a multi-platform, but it had the PlayStation VR stuff exclusive. Yeah. All of that stuff they had during the first... So si- is it just a case of also third-party developer support? Um, I think because the machines are quite similar, um, you've, you've established they're, they're built quite similar, you, you, most third-party developers are releasing games on both, right? So you're not. But okay. what, Micro, what Sony are doing is doing really aggressive with this third-party deal. So Microsoft famously did it a lot during the 360 era yep. where they signed, um, you know, they had the Call of Duty relationship. Now PlayStation has the Call of Duty relationship. Yep. Um, so when all the Call of Duty is being advertised, they're advertising the PS4 version. Yeah. Um, that's doesn't have any influence upon most gamers, but it has an influence perhaps in terms of putting the PlayStation brand out there a bit. Um, and you know, the big games that Microsoft had this Christmas third party relationships was Assassin's Creed Origins and Mordor. And Mordor was one of the disappointing game launches of the year. It just, it just, you know, it, you can't help but feel. And also, Microsoft closed a lot of studios. Things like Lionhead closing. Um, they, they, I know, I know that has a personal. Yeah, well, I love Lionhead. Um, I'm, I, you know. They've, they've focused on games like, they've focused on Halo, um, they've focused on Gears of War, just as PlayStation have gone into new IP and done loads of new stuff. Um, I think Microsoft, the, the, the noise that's coming out of Microsoft now actually is that they're, they're changing that strategy. They're going now into investing more into third, first party development, which I think is fantastic. Um, and I'm really excited to see. It's really great to see a big company spending money on big quality games. And I'm sure we'll see more of it. As I say, the beginning of next year, they've got some big games coming out. They've got a lot of ground to make up. And I can't help but feel we're four years into the cycle that it, Microsoft might might be readying themselves for the next generation to see if they can turn the tide on PlayStation like they did. They did it before, like they did in the PS2 to PS3 generation. You, you mean a next full generation, not yeah. a mid-season update? Yeah, I mean, not a mid- I mean, 
I doubt they would release anything in 2018 because of Xbox One X coming out so soon. Yeah. But you, you, 2019, 2020? Um, I think we are getting to that point. Um, particularly if you are a machine... I mean, PlayStation... If I was Sony, I'd be... PlayStation 4 doing so well. I mean, next year, I think we're all... I think we've already hit... I think this has been the peak of the yeah. console generation. I think next year will be a decline for both platforms. But play, Xbox has been declining for a while. Microsoft might get to the... I think Microsoft gets to the point where they'll want to put out a new piece of hardware before PlayStation do. Mm. I would be surprised if they both do it at the same time this time. Um, but I, I think Microsoft might learn that lesson. Yeah. Um, it's a big risk, you know. Yeah. You've got, um, you know, PlayStation... PlayStation, interestingly, PlayStation have a, have a bit of markets outside of... It's interesting, you look at the, the 360 generation, the Xbox 360 launched in 2005, and um, and then the uh, the PlayStation launched 2006, 2007, depending on what part of the world you're in. And um, uh, the PlayStation 3, actually, by the end of the generation, they sold neck and neck, because PlayStation 3 is very big in European countries and yep. certain other markets where Xbox isn't. But in the... What, they, what, the, what I often heard, because I was the Anglo-Saxon markets, Australia, uh, America, and the UK, um, it's uh, it's always... Big, it's all, they're in Xbox strongholds, but even this generation, that's not been the case. Um, so... Um, and Sony always has Japan. Sony, well, yeah, seems to be Nintendo at the moment um, because Japan seems to be moving away from home consoles quite a lot. Um, okay, uh, it's um, they've uh, into what portable world. So the 3DS is still huge in Japan, you know, yeah, and, and obviously mobiles as well, and Switch. You know, they they because of the nature of that country, they love their portable devices, and home console sales do seem to be slowing a bit. Um, but but yeah, but. But generally speaking, home console while it's, it's so. I mean, talking about next generation updates. I mean, you can we've, we've spoken about you know the hardware on the current generation. You know, we've got this mesh of x86 now with PC. When you're talking about um, Sony, and Microsoft, and then Nintendo using Tegra. Um, just before we start recording the podcast, we you know kind of talking about well, next generation. What's it going to be? Um, both Sony and Microsoft have very deep relationships with AMD's semi-custom SOC division. I mean, both Sony and Microsoft are currently using Jaguar cores, and with AMD graphics, and Xbox One X uses um, Polaris, I think, graphics. So, and AMD just released, you know, their next-gen uh, Zen cores, mm-hmm. the Ryzen products, um, the Vega um, com- Vega graphics um, is. Currently shipping in Ryzen Mobile at 15 watts. Console runs at what 150 watts, and that's meant to be kind of a, a nice, you know, efficiency point. So if they were going to start dealing with, you know, say, 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 say for example, we were going for a first half of 2019 launch, mm-hmm. the hardware would have to be start was essentially be just being put in place depending on roadmaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I could mention that AMD and Global Foundries they've got. Is it their new 12 nanometer process that is potentially using for the um, the, the Ryzen Plus chips that we might find out about next week at CES? There's, but ultimately, those sorts of consoles they're aiming to hit 4K and VR gaming. They have to, otherwise, yeah. what what else would they offer that they don't currently? Yeah, I I have that same. But then I'm I obviously look at I look at I look at the role of a console as being a, a mainstream way into gaming, right? So. Um, PCs are great now. I mean, they they do everything. And if you are into Steam's incredible, and if you are a gamer who are really into that kind of market, really into high end games, you get a PC, right? And it lasts forever. And you do, you know, it doesn't last forever, but it lasts a long, lot longer. A console is for people that want really high end gaming experiences, but really just want to stick it under their TV and plug it in as easy as possible. There's a massive market for that, which we've seen with the PS4. 
But there comes a point where, you know, consoles are really not as convenient as they should be. And I do get to the point where it's play, PS4, PS5 and Xbox 2, whatever it will be, is just what they have now, but souped up a bit more. Well, what are you offering people? And 4K and VR seem to be the obvious, obvious places. Um, what about streaming? Well, yeah. <laughs> we're not there yet. Um, no, not with consoles, anyway. It's okay, could, could they do something that integrates streaming to be easier for console gaming? I think once streaming is, if streaming work can get it working in the way that it does in music and movies and those sort of things, you're talking about, you know, video game playing, video games, you don't need a console. <laughs> you just need the internet, right? It's, it's well, no, no, I mean actually creating content rather. Oh, than... right, you mean? Well, don't you? I. I mean, currently, if you want to do that, you have your console and a PC and use a pass-through cable. And... Well, yeah, you say that. You don't need to do that. I mean, PlayStation has a share, has its own, has a button on the PS4 controller called Share, right? Which yeah. is entirely designed. They do limit it. They do control it a little bit more than I think they need to. And it X... goes through their own system. Yeah. Through... Xbox has it's bought Mixer and all this kind of stuff. But all of this is capable via the machines they've got now. Yeah. Um, I do, th- I just... You know, you look at how success Nintendo's had. Nintendo's capturing the imagination with Switch by by being, hey, this is a, the most flexible gaming device you have. You, I'm, I'm Switch is, I found my love for games again because of Switch. I've always loved games, but I don't have much time for them because of the Switch. I can take it to bed. I can take it into the kitchen when I make a cup of tea. I can take it on the bus with me. I can do whatever I like. I can play whenever I like, whenever I can, whenever I can fit it in. It's been a remarkable product for me, and it's captured the imagination. PlayStation, Xbox, it's great machines, but there were also great machines in the last generation. I just I have to ask, what role do they have in a world where the PC is doing such an amazing thing and in the low-end space, where what's the console? The thing is, people are buying them. So, you know, I can ask these <laughs> questions and they answer them emphatically with the 60, 30 million install bases. Yeah. But I do, I do, I do think we're, there's a lot of people asking questions. If you are, if you're going to do a PS5, there will be a lot of people going, what is it? What does it do that I can't get now? And maybe it is, it's a super VR machine. Maybe it is that if you've got a 4K TV, this is the product you need. It's, it's all about the experience and the user experience. I mean, it's been that way in the PC space yeah. for ages. I mean, what's wow. the point of the ne- newest generation if it does exactly the same? The, we, we had, Intel had a very famously failed um, advertising campaign called PC Does, P- PC Does What? <laughs> And it was basically a series of adverts showing, oh, well, you now, you know, you have these 360 laptops that can act as tablets and yeah. they're kind of flopped. Yeah. Well, I, and I mean, and what's what's driving a lot of laptop sales now? Gaming. I think, I think, yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think I've got some, I got, I don't know. But then again, this is the industry, games industry. It changes on the dying, right? <laughs> you say 12 months ago, we'd all written them switch off and now it's so, so, you know, I, the, right, right now, I don't think VR is, is doing what it, people think it should be doing. Developers seem to be moving away from making VR games and making VR applications instead, as they kind of see it. Perhaps that's where the money is, rather than in gaming. Well, but VR doesn't have as much of an install base as I think people would want for those AAA titles. No, and the investment that's giant. You know, in the moment, a lot of those developers have been uh, they're 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 living off investment, and some investors understand this is a long game, and some investors don't. So yep. you've got a load of investors going, "Where's my return?" And it was like, "Yeah, you're not going to get a big return on." No. this tiny install base and so they're going to start running away you're going to start seeing some VR developers consolidate you're going to see some closures um, that doesn't mean VR's dead or in trouble I, it's just wait, it just. It's, it's, I think we're going to have a couple of years of 
of, of realism before we get to uh, before it's the thing with the game it's the thing with any technology right we always we always overestimate it in the short term and underestimate it in the long term and I think that's that's just what we're going to see with VR well, VR and it's what two two three million installer base you know versus a Call of Duty that'll sell 50 million units yeah yeah it, it, it's you won't make a Call of Duty for VR unless you can get close to those numbers yeah and that's that's from VR has um I want to switch it up. I mean, I know we've talked a little bit about the future, but 2018, um, there are some nice, impressive games coming out. I, mean, I know you were saying to me that earlier that 2018 isn't necessarily going to... I mean, 2017 was such a good year for games and game launches that 2018 would have to do something spectacular mm-hmm. to beat it. Yeah, something like a Rockstar game. That'll probably help. Um, <laughs> Such as? Uh, well, so Red Dead Redemption 2, I think. It, it, it's out in spring. Um, which probably means May, knowing, knowing Rockstar's calendar. Uh, it's not out. Um, it's going to be the biggest game of the year. Um, I, I say that with some level of confidence. Um, their last game Rockstar released, obviously, was Grand Theft Auto V, which is, what, 86 million um, <laughs> sold globally. It's still in the top 10 charts now. It came out in 2013. Um, it's uh, A lot it, of development work into that went into that, though. Well, and Take-Two's financials. Take-Two last year released Soddle. Right, they released a WWE game and an NBA game, um, and yet their financials were fantastic because of a certain Grand Theft Auto Online, yeah. um, and and that is Grand Theft Auto is massive. But the reason why I said it, Grand Theft Auto did eighty six, eight five, eight six million GTA fives on um, Red GTA four did thirty million, which was gra- groundbreaking <laughs> then, right? Um, and it, 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 say, if you developed a game and somebody offered somebody offered you thirty million sales, you'd buy the hand. Yeah, oh, amazing! It was incredible. And then and then GTA so and Red Dead Redemption came out a year after. GTA, uh, GTA 4, and that did 15 million, which was also massive. Yeah. Um, obviously half the numbers of GTA 4, but then it was never, it's not a Grand Theft Auto game. So Red Dead Redemption 2, the first game from Rockstar since GTA 5, even if it does half again, you're looking at 43 million goes, you know, yeah. any, I don't know, I, I, this isn't an estimate, but I think everyone's looking at this as being, um, a ginormous release, and it's one that they expect. It's going to be multi-platform. Yeah, it's um, PlayStation have a slight relationship with Rockstar on it, but it's on Xbox, it's on PC. The um, uh, you're going to have so that's going to be huge. I think any game developer will be running away from that 100 miles away. Still got Far Cry Five in March. Um, There's Monster Hunter World in January. Um, Nintendo will have a Pokemon game. I mentioned that earlier at the end of the year. Square Enix who. uh, have a deal with Marvel. We should start seeing the early signs of their games as well. Um, PlayStation have a few big ones. They've got Spider-Man, and then you've got um, and then you've got uh, Microsoft. mentioned mentioned a few of their games as well. CFE, State of Decay, uh, Crackdown. So it's there will be some big games next year. I don't know if we're going to see quite the heady heights of the ten out of tens, the sheer number of amazing games we've got this year. But um, or oh, twenty seventeen, depending on when you're listening. <laughs> um, I'm assuming not in the next thirty minutes. But the um, but the uh, uh, but Red Dead Redemption's the the landmark title. There's a lot of expectation riding on it. Um, what, what, what's the game that you're most likely? That, what's the one that you're going to go out and buy pre-launch? Uh, I'm a big fan of Rare. I mentioned this earlier. So Sea of Thieves, and I've played that a lot. Um, is is a game I'm really intrigued by. I've not really gone into these great big shared world experiences before, but um, it has that level of humour and style that really appealed to me. Um, I've been a fan of Switch all year, I mentioned that. Um, so I'm looking forward to Fire Emblem and Pokemon. But really, I've kind of had my favourite Switch games in Zelda and Mario. I'm intrigued to see what they announce um, for the rest of the year. But for me, I'm really intrigued by Sea of Thieves. That's the, that's the, that's the AAA game I'm excited about. Um, for me, it's going to be 
Now, I know it's already been out on consoles, but Final Fantasy XV is coming to PC. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at the uh, Distant Worlds um, orchestral concert in uh, Royal Albert Hall a few weeks ago. Oh, that, nice. You know, I booked my ticket with, like, there's... The tickets went online. 20 minutes later, there were, like, 3% left. I booked my ticket. I just, that's it, randomly anywhere, put me second row. Oh, nice. So, yeah, well, that, 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 that was that was a nice sort of birthday present that cost 70 quid. Not, not to do top trumps on this. I did, um, <laughs> I did a, I'm a big fan of Zelda. I've been to the Zelda concert a few times, and I paid to go to the one in Birmingham last March, and I went there and I said, I, I met the guy. I was introduced to the guy, somebody yeah. who knew each other who runs it, Jason Michael Paul, and I said, oh, I, he goes, well, you, you're going to come to the one we're doing in November? And I went... I might do if I, you know, he says, just drop me a line and I'll give you free tickets. Drop me a line. Not only give me free tickets, I went backstage and met me. <laughs> but it was, son of a... Yeah, yeah no, was, um, that was amazing. That was incredible. Carry on. Yeah, so. no. So, I mean, Final Fantasy XV, they've, uh, they've already got what, one expansion out on... Um, mm-hmm. Or they, they've got... And they've got another one coming out soon. And the, hopefully it all comes out on PC end of January, I think. Um, I've already told... My boss Ryan, that I might need to take a week off. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, so he's. I mean, what, what? What? One of the downsides of us moving from ages twelve to fifteen to now the fact that we're in our early thirties <laughs> is that suddenly work becomes more more work and family become more important yeah. than gaming. So you have to be very choosy when you pick and when you pick the games that you're going to play. Essentially, that year you get yeah. one or two major titles. Yeah. That. Yeah. Ryan knows this. Um, <laughs> So uh, yeah, Final Fantasy Fifteen is you know, going to be on. And you say you know Monster Hunter. I remember playing you know an old PlayStation, but I can't remember what version of Monster Hunter it was. You know, hundreds and hundreds of hours. It amazes me if we went back to how we played consoles and games then. If they actually track the number of hours like Steam does oh, now. Oh yeah, yeah. I just <laughs> have to think. Well, no, the Switch does. So um, I so I said Switch. I'd say because it's flexibility. I played on loads. I played Zelda for 155 hours. Completed it. I've done the DLC as well, um, and I adore it. I say the thing. When was the last time I played a game for 155 hours? And I'm trying to think. Pokemon Yellow. Um, yeah. It's like I'm. You know, I can't think the last time I played a game for that amount of time. Mario Odyssey. I did 65 hours on that. And I, but that's the reason why I don't. That's such a rare, yeah. rare thing. Somebody of my age, a gaming gaming lengths of that time. No, no way. Um, you know, when, whenever you say, whenever I used to read Final Fantasy fifteen, you're excited by it. I remember when it came out on console. People said to me, "Oh, you know, it, it takes twenty hours and it gets really gets going." And I'm like, twenty hours is my maximum gaming time. <laughs> that's uh, that, that's yeah. <laughs> when 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 um, was it? Hironobu Sakaguchi and um, no, is it Hironobu Sakaguchi or Nobu Uematsu? When when it moved from the original Final Fantasy team to the new one, and I know Final Fantasy thirteen is linear, um, more linear than it should be. I still haven't got past the first few hours because I haven't had time. But when you only have a couple of hours a week mm-hmm. on a good week, yeah, and you know, and if you just happen to have a super week where you can fit in five to ten, yeah, you know, that's so. Yeah, for me, Final Fantasy fifteen, it's going to be um, that's going to be my my number one. Yeah, but um, speaking of games that we used to play, I mean, I wanted to dedicate a little time to this podcast for anybody who wants to listen to us reminisce about how we used to play games. I mean, countless hours on uh, Perfect Dark. <laughs> I mean, us two versus. I mean, if you know, if you know Perfect Dark on the N sixty four, the hardest bots were 
Um, Dark Sims. Dark Sims. Not. I was thinking Meat Sims for a second. <laughs> no, opposite. no, they, they were the easy ones. <laughs> Dark Sims. You know, it was. We we used to play two versus two, first to ten kills. Were you were you there when we uh, were in the temple level, and then the Slayer rocket comes around the corner, and we realised that we were sitting there prepared to kill the Dark Sim to come around the corner. We're like camping. I don't. Know if it was you. Yeah, no, camping, was, camping. Yeah. Hey, the Dark Sim will come around the corner in a minute. We'll get ready, and then well, we saw this smoke appear. What's Slayer rocket, by the way, is a rocket. Is a rocket which the you can control. So, and so I sat there and I said, there's a, there's a, and then we realised that we put Slayer rockets on, and the Dark Sims didn't fall for our trap, and no. they just fired a Slayer rocket at us. And, and, and it's, it, and it <laughs> amazes me. You know, a lot of talk in the at least in the hardware industry these days is about AI and artificial intelligence. How we can apply that to things like automotive and how computation intensive it is i mean that's neural network training these are ai this is ai for games which is a bit simpler mm-hmm. but back you know it can because it can essentially have a you know um, response time of a frame less mm-hmm. than you you you, beca- you you come you come against the hardest thing that mm. you could ever possibly come with the hardware of an n64 so if you eventually create an ai that knows everything about its surroundings yeah, you know, it's. I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to go. You know, intense Black Mirror <laughs> <laughs> on 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 stuff. But you know, so we we played so much Perfect Dark back in the day. Yeah. So much Mario Kart. Well, I used to win these games. <laughs> I used to. I used to. Yeah, I, yeah. You 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 always seem to remember the the bits the bits where you win and not when you lose. No, I lost you, loads of times. You remember the glory days? I did the. I used to. This used to be a combat. This is how I got into games writing. There used to be this forum. There used to be a retailer called Special Reserve. And they had a forum called Game of Day. And in those games, in those Game of Days, where you, where you could actually win up to one time. It still exists, by the way. Friola run it. If you're listening, yep. go on friola.com and go, well, Game of Day, Google that. And basically, what it is, um, it's now, um, you, um, you used to write a review, um, if you write a cheat, or you could write, um, uh, just an article about video oh, games. It, it, uh, or a forum post. Yeah, a forum, an article, yeah, a forum post. That's what it was. And, um, and they would pick the best one or, I think they pick it probably at random every single day. And I won 50. I'm still in the top 10 um, uh, to this day. And um, I won 50 games. Games like Perfect Dark, Conquest, Bad Fur Day. Oh, and but and b- b- back when you're sort of 13, 14, 15, 16, a free game is, you know, that's 30, 40 pounds, oh, 50 bucks. the world to me. You know, the yeah. amount of games I've got, I've still got more up there, look. Um, and, um, and yeah, and I can see all your freebies still in the wrappers. <laughs> you know, that's what happens in this industry. Yeah, um, but because no, I I remember winning one. Yeah, oh, did you? It was Brandy with you. Yeah, you? it was. Um, I because uh, uh, I remember. I mean, you say you won fifty. Uh, my one was I I I did a diatribe on RPGs and JRPGs. What makes them different, and why JRPGs are better? <laughs> you know, which would which. Which would come off as an unshevelled rant today, yeah. um, but I, I'm you know it's it's kind of it's kind of weird because that was that was one of my first forays into writing about gaming and technology and concepts you know at an age of fourteen fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know you've always wanted to be in the gaming industry, yeah, so, sort um, of, yeah, yeah. But back then it was put the gaming industry was you know this holy pedestal you had to earn your right to be in it i was being told and i'm always told this and i always hate i always think it puts people in a bad frame it's really hard to be a games journalist or it's really hard to be a journalist but you know it's it's not you know and there are lots of stories of people that put all the effort in they never get anywhere but generally speaking if you're pretty good and you work hard then there's a good chance you'll get in you know you know (laughs) it's it's, it's kind of like a lot of jobs if you put the time in (laughs) 
go. Yeah, but no, I was. I used to write these posts on these game of day forums, and I used to go take them to my lecturer at university, and I was showing them to him. My lecturer loved them. It was actually my writing fellow who helped me with my writing. He loved them. He said, "You've got to go into games writing," and I went. I never. I'd actually. I was. I was told myself. I told myself I was going into teaching. Of course, I wanted to be a games writer, but I used to kept people because people kept telling me. The barrier, to the barrier to entry is too high. I immediately went, oh, I don't want to put the effort in. So I went in the yeah. easy route. And it was only when people said to me, well, give it a go. And okay, there was a bit of a, I went for a job and it, you know, and it, pay was too low because pay is slow. Yeah, um, yeah it's, and, it's um, not something you go into for the yeah, money. Yeah. And then, and then, and then I went into, uh, and I went to games testing and that's why I discovered MCV and I applied for a job on MCV. And I applied to MCV having done, if, you know, writers write. And if you, I had written loads of stuff and I, and they, they have interviews, oh, you know, I've done so many interviews where people come in and I ask the question, junior writers, I know it's a highlight of juniors. Yeah. And they say, I say, when was the last time you did any writing? Well, I finished university six months ago. So I finished six months ago. Well, you're not a writer, are you? Why would I hire, why would I hire you? And I'm not saying you should write for free. I'm not saying you should write for, for a newspaper for free or anything. You know, you should be paid for your work, but you can write for yourself. You write for your yeah. own blog. Um, you can just write just for fun. You know, if you don't... If you well, think... so it says, but by the time you went to work for AMCV, you already had essentially 10 years writing experience under your belt. Well, do you remember we went to Sishiguro Miyamoto? Right? And, um... <laughs> this was one of the other things I wanted to... So talk. when in 2003, I love this story, um, <laughs> Ian and I, we decided to uh, we decided to go to... Um, I decided I wanted to meet Miyamoto. He was signing games. So, 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 so just to clarify for people who don't know who Shigeru Miyamoto is. Oh, he's the legendary games creator behind Donkey Kong, Mario, Zelda... Um, Pikmin, um, pretty much every every major Nintendo game you can think of. If, if, if you are the, if you are a Nintendo fan, this is the guy he's who the sits Sp- on your shrine. Yeah, he's the Spielberg of video games, and um, he he was at he was at um, he very rarely does public appearances. He's never done one since, right? <laughs> like, he's, he does he does obviously he does them at E three and does those interviews and stuff, but he very yeah. rarely does anything like this. He does, he, he's a shy man. And, and, and meet the public, yeah. So I went to, um, I went to, uh, we went to queue up for him. And do you, do you remember this? <laughs> well, we were going to spend the day on Oxford Street, weren't we? We were going to go to the McDonald's, we were going to do some shopping. And we went to, uh, we, went, we went there. And uh, we, we, we arrived four hours early. Yeah. And we went to the, I went to the security guard and I said, where is, uh, or maybe you did, and where is uh, Miyamoto doing the signing? And he just pointed downstairs and it was absolutely rammed. And famously, <laughs> Nintendo hired people to be in the queue because they were worried no one would turn up. Oh, gosh. But they ended up having to shut the queue after two, you know, two hours to go. He stayed an hour later. We, he originally said... He, he arrived could, an hour later as well, if I remember. And I think he might, I don't know. But um, we, we, he had this thing where you could sign as many games as you, you know, it's like that, that changed, was, that was changed. <laughs> and you ended up signing well, well, no, 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 so, so, so I remember you wanted to go because, you know, you're idle because you're a massive Nintendo fan at the time. Still are. Um, <laughs> so, and I, 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 for me, this was just a, hey, let's go to meet a legend. It wasn't, yeah. I, I, I wasn't necessarily caught up in all the hype. Or I, I guess at the time I didn't necessarily understand, you know, just how rare an event, rare, how rare of an event it was. Um, and you know, this was back when I would, I dressed badly and had spiky hair. Um, <laughs> <That's changed>. I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I dress better now. Um, and so yeah, we got down. You know, I, I, I didn't. I think I'd been down to London like once or twice. Now London for us, you know, is about an hour away. Yeah, um, on the train. Um, and yeah, cheap enough because it was a weekend. So we go down and go to yeah Oxford Street. Now, um, is is the big is the big Virgin Megastore still there? No, no, all that's gone. No, so, no, so so even the H and B's gone. Yeah, it was. So th- this is massive department store that you know is designed to hold thousands of people on you know the main shop floor, and they had the bottom floor 
all segregated for this meet and greet. So yeah, four hours early. Yeah. So we, we went up to the front door and we saw, no, we, we expected a line down the street, you know, the same way you might see people queuing for an Apple yeah. launch. Um, back then, you know, before Apple, before Apple was selling iPhones. Um, and we expected to see people around the street. We expected to be in, in, in the cold. We expected, you know, hundreds of people, but we got downstairs and we were, I don't know, we were, we were about six hundredth in line. Yeah. So yeah, it it wasn't quite a thousand, but they cancelled the line very sh- you know a little while after yeah. we arrived because you know you couldn't even get into the downstairs area because people would started queuing on the stairs. Yeah. And security risk and all that. Um, so we sat there. Um, I think we didn't even go to the toilet just in case. Um, <laughs> and uh, this was a time before you know smartphones. Yeah. So we were just talking, I guess. Thankfully, which remember, we were standing in a magazine rack. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 we, we, so, you know, magazines that you should have bought. Um, but we, we sat there reading, and then, you know, he doesn't come out at the time that he, you know, it was said. And, he did yeah. stay late. He stayed a lot later. He stayed late. But I remember us being one of the last. So people were still in the queue, but we didn't get a chance to see him because he had to go. Yeah, oh, no, we knew we would have been the last, but he stayed like an extra hour. Okay. I do remember my favourite part of the story is that I had the I had the gold edition Zelda, like Zelda, oh, oh, yeah. Legend of Zelda issue. The very and well, I, well, 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 let's go back to he was he was the idea was that pe- they weren't expecting many people, so you could sign how much they liked. You could sign as many games, as many games you liked, and the, and after they closed the queue, um, they basically said um, even though we've pre-announce that you can sign we're going to limit it to one per person mm. now i didn't bring anything to sign because because no. i will you know i was at the time i was i had a playstation i think i had a game boy dreamcast didn't you? Yeah, dreamcast, yeah. I th- was it dream yeah because yeah. no because I, I bought the dreamcast just as it finished production yeah so, so did i yeah it was because it was before the gamecube i was yeah. bored waiting for it <laughs> no because because in the end because you had a stack of stuff to sign you were going to give me some of it yeah. to sign and in the end, I got your Super Mario Sunshine. Well, I gave you the rest of the games. That's the mistake I made. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? So you had a gold edition Zelda, Legend of Zelda, and a gold edition of the second Zelda. Yeah. And so you got. So you went up first. Um, there was also we tried to get a competition to try and get a photo of a magazine. Which yeah. You, yeah. And that failed because the magazine wasn't rigid. Um, so you went up first. You, know, you said hi. You got your thing signed. You took a picture? Yeah, uh, I did, yeah, on the way. Well, we, we walked past it on the way up. Yeah. So Anuma uh, was there, by the way. So this guy now, who's now seen as a legend behind Zelda, was the guy sitting next to Miyamoto. It was a Wind Waker promotional tour. And Anuma was the director of Wind Waker, and they brought him along. He's Anuma, he's the guy who, who made Breath of the Wild. Like, he's, the, he's the man in charge of Zelda now. Yeah. <laughs> but he's he, he's sec- then, second best. Back then, we didn't care. <laughs> no, no. So, so you went up, you got yours signed. I went up, I got Super Mario Sunshine, Super Mario Sunshine signed, but everyone got Super Mario Sunshine signed, so you were annoyed. Because, <laughs> I was, because I didn't... I, didn't, I, I couldn't I, be too annoyed. You queued up for four hours for me, got a game signed. That was a reasonable... And, and, you, and my motor has a signature where Moto, the T, is like a nose, and you're going to yeah. pull it out from your uh, cupboard now, aren't you? And, you know, the O's are eyes. Yeah. Um, but, do, yeah, the, yeah, that's exactly it. I'm looking at it now. Yeah. I'll have to take a picture of it and put it up online. Um, though... Do you remember the very specific bet I challenged myself to do, and you said you're never going to do it? 
you, I, you, we did well. We discussed the prospect of asking Mr. Miyamoto if he was a fan of cheese. So, so, <laughs> so at, at that age, you know, thirteen. Uh, wait, so it's two thousand three. I was, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I was seventeen, going on eighteen. So my, you know, I'm a bit random. Um, so I thought, oh, cheese is funny. So I'm going to ask him if he likes cheese. <laughs> and I remember vividly you telling me how he responded. And he went, cheese? Cheese? Yes, I like cheese. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he, he hardly speaks any English. No. You know, so, even, so I had to be very simple. Um, and I think, uh, I think I took a picture of him. You know, did, time before a smartphone, so I had a point and shoot, yeah. and I accidentally had the flash on, and I remember taking a picture of him, and he he, he looked startled. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, this guy's just asked me if I liked cheese, and now he's taking a photo of me. When you say he's a very shy guy, you know, I used to I used to be that shy as well. If somebody did that to me, <laughs> yeah, no, he's a lovely man. Yeah, he's, but no, it was a that was a very iconic, that was very memorable. Yeah, that was a very memorable moment um, that day. <laughs> I don't remember meeting Miyamoto. All my memories about it is you and I in the build up to it, and uh, and I actually I actually don't remember even getting it signed. I don't remember meeting him. Uh, I've seen him since. You know, I've spoken to him about picking free, but um, I've not in, I, in, in an official capacity. In a, in a, in a, yeah, in an official capacity. But um, uh, back then, I um, but you know, there's lovely stories about Miyamoto. You know, the guy who made Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, the biggest surprise of the year, by the way, incredible game. Is a guy called David Soliani. He works for Ubisoft Italy, and he's a loves Miyamoto. He's a hero, like 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 me, but on another level. He actually, he actually, <laughs> is that possible? He, he, when he when Miyamoto did the same press tour mm-hmm. in Italy, he um, he who was really ill, David Soliani. He uh, he found out all the hotels he could possibly be in, ran around all the hotels, found out what hotel he was at, camped outside with the flu for five hours outside his hotel to meet him, got a picture of him, and everything. David Soliani now spent the last two, three years working with him on a Mario game. And, he, and um, there was this moment, and you can see it um, uh, if you watch E3, Ubisoft press conference, when they announced Mario Plus Rabbids, Miyamoto announces it. The only thing he did during E3, he went on stage during Ubisoft press conference to announce Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, and they, he asked David Soliani to stand up. David Soliani said, he's in floods of tears. Absolutely floods of tears. And he became, it became a bit of a meme, he became a bit of an icon that moment of that show. And, um, uh, but oddly, when I, I've met David Soliani and I interviewed him and I said to him, I had a 2003 Wind Waker press tour moment. It's amazing that he had yeah. one too. And it's, um, but yeah, no, those were the, uh, well, we're getting to an age now where the people who are the movers and shakers in this industry are our age. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they've, yeah. they've grown up making through... us feel inadequate. Yeah. <laughs> You know, in another in another ten fifteen years, everybody will be younger. Yeah, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we should. <laughs> I want to leave it there. <laughs> That's all right. Um, thanks, Chris. I mean, Thank you. I say you've been long time friend, and it's great to hear your thoughts on something that's a little bit different um, for our listeners. And I hope you've enjoyed it. This is where I have to say, if you've got any comments, please leave them down below. Um, but yeah, I really hope you guys enjoy it. And again, thank you, Chris. Cheers. <laughs>